0: First of all, the title of the message, Blessed Curses. Blessed Curses. As strange as the series title is, the sermon titles will be just as strange. When does a curse become a blessing? And when does a blessing become a curse? When does what God gives you become the thing that destroys you? And when does the thing that destroys you become the thing that God uses to bless you? Sounds strange, but it's true. When you really think about it, human behavior is stranger than God behavior. God's behavior seems strange because we don't understand what God is doing. It's difficult to understand how somebody who's faithful in our eyes, somebody who has done so much for the Lord's work, dies in a terrible accident. It's hard to understand how a man who cheats and steals and kills becomes wealthier and seems happier. It's difficult to understand how somebody will cheat in an exam and get the prize and then get the good job and then get the promotion. It's difficult to accept that somebody will study hard, get good grades, don't get recognized, and ends up being a cashier in a local store. Which is is an okay job, by the way. Anything done in Jesus' name is a good thing. Amen? I'm just saying, though. Human behavior, in my opinion, is stranger than God behavior, and I want to demonstrate that in our text for today. So, without further ado, let's go to the gospel. Let's go to the Bible rather. Second Kings chapter eighteen. Second Kings chapter eighteen. I love to read the entire verse so that you can read it by yourself later on, reflecting on the word you've received. Second Kings chapter eighteen, from verse number one. As always, I'll be reading. From the New Living Translation, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nahushtan, which simply means that bronze thing. That's it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. This is going to be a unique message because I'm not only focusing on one passage, I'm focusing on two. What I've read is how the sermon will end. Let me read where the sermon begins. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Let's go to Numbers chapter 18. numbers chapter 21 different number numbers 21 i'm going to read from verse number four and the verses that follow how did we get from the place where the bronze serpent is being worshipped where did it come from what was it for and what can we learn from it The Bible says in verse number 4, Numbers 21, Then the people of Israel set out to Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. Listen to what they said. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manner when the blessing becomes a curse. And so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Please pray to the Lord that he'll take away the snakes. And so Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of the poisonous snake. Attach it to a pole. All who have been bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. That's a very strange story and it qualifies to be a part of the series. The message is blessed curses. How is it possible that something that God does on your behalf, something that God gives you, something that God places amongst you, becomes the very thing that takes you away from God? Doesn't God know better than to do that? Isn't God a better parent that knows that giving a child something that is dangerous will eventually lead to harm? What are the lessons that you get from this story and can something good come out of it? I must confess. some people complained about last week's sermon. Uh, they said last week's sermon was rough. They said pastor, he sounded angry, and the pastor sounded like he was calling them out. That's it. No apology follows that statement. Numbers chapter 20 verse 3, the Bible says the Lord heard the Israelites' request, and he says he gave them victory over the Canaanites. I am so glad that at the beginning of this word, we still serve a God who not only listens but does something. I appreciate the fact that in spite of how they behaved and the things they did from Egypt until this point in the journey, God was still able and willing to listen to what they said. Not only did God listen, but God did something. The Bible says he gave them victory over the Canaanites. Why did God do that? Because God promised them the land and when God makes a promise, his promises are accompanied by his muscle. He doesn't just say it and sit back and watch you struggle. He will step in and help you the way that he knows how. The only problem is the way God does things is so strange to human beings that we move from gratitude to complaining really fast. Verse number 4 and 5, the Bible says, but. God gave them the victory, but. See, with humanity, there's always a but. We are never content with the things that God does. The Bible says, but the people grew impatient with the long journey. They grew impatient with the long journey. Question, should that journey been long had it not been for their own choices? 11 days became 40 years Not because God just decided to be sadistic, but because they decided this journey is too long. We want to go back. Not only did they get tired of the journey, but the Bible says they began to speak against God and against Moses. Please follow me real close as we go to this text. We're going to do a Bible study as we try to understand the strangeness of human behavior. Not only did they complain about Moses, they complained about God. Now when you're complaining about somebody, most times you don't complain to the person first, you complain to somebody else. And so the complaints began around the camp. The women were getting tired of carrying the children walking in the desert sand. The men got tired of the women and children complaining. The women got tired of the men complaining. And so the complaint became like a discordant song. And everybody said, it's not only Moses' fault, it's God's fault. Complaining never reveals the true source of the problem. It reveals the spirit of the complainer. If you want to really understand somebody who complains, don't say anything. Let them keep complaining and you'll discover the real problem. And God, being God, did not intervene in the beginning. He allowed them to spread this spirit of discord in the camp. Listen, in the daytime, they were being led by a cloud. Do you know what clouds do on a hard day? What do clouds do on a hot day? What do they do? They cover the sun and they bring rain. At night, they were followed, they were guided by a fire on a daily basis so God had them covered in the front, at the back, and in their bellies. Because for that 40-year period, breakfast cereal was falling from heaven every single day. Listen to what they said about that meal. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manner. Complaining leads to exaggeration. Complaining leads to lies. There's nothing to eat. We hate this manna. Wait a minute. If there's nothing to eat, what about the manna? See, the problem with complaining is it blocks you from seeing the things that God has already done. You focus on what's happening right now and you forget that God has been there in the past. It's amazing to me when somebody complains about their job. You have a job. It's amazing to me when somebody complains that they can't afford a certain kind of shoe. You have feet. We complain so much that we forget to be grateful for the simple things. And I want to show you the danger of complaining as it relates to these people. It was complaining that made them miss out on the promised land. And so when they start complaining right now, this time, God intervenes. If you have a... A conflict or a problem to deal with. Sometimes God is the right person to go to. Sometimes He's not the right person to go to because His solution seems worse than the problem. You you gonna understand in a minute. The blessing becomes a curse when you see it as insufficient and inconvenient. I've seen mothers pray for children. I've seen mothers invite me to pray with them for children. And I've heard mothers complain that their children are preventing them from living their life. I've seen people complain that they're single until they get married. (laughs) I've seen people complain about unemployment until they have a job. I have seen people complain about things they shouldn't complain about. The other day, somebody, and, and this is not a knock on anybody here. I love you. I heard somebody complain about the food at Potluck. It's free, by the way. Just in case you didn't know, it's free. Yes. See, when something feels insufficient and it becomes an inconvenience, we start complaining. What we are saying is, Lord, it's not that you're not feeding us. It's that we're tired of what you're feeding us with. We're tired of the manner, We're tired of what you're putting in front of us. Give us something else. But rather than being honest, they become labai. And then they say, we're hungry. There's nothing to eat. God literally squeezed water out of a rock, but they accused him of being cruel against them. And so the Lord sent snakes. Selah. So, here's what I got from this. Here's what I got from this. The snakes were not just a judgment, they were also a revelation. This is is my first time, by the way, in 20 years of preaching the Bible. This is my first time preaching on this text. And I'll tell you why. It's my first time preaching this text because for the longest time, I could not justify God's action. Lord, they just want food and water. They're not asking for mansions. They're not asking for camels on wheels. They just want food and water. But the problem was bigger than that. Let me tell you why the statement is up on the screen. The snakes were not just a judgment. They were also a revelation. I will explain each one. If you don't like the explanation, be careful. Don't complain because God will send snakes. (laughs) Why is it a judgment? It's a judgment because up to this point, God has been so faithful that the people around them became afraid of them. God has just given them victory against the Canaanites. Do you understand that this is a band of slaves? They're not trained for warfare. The Canaanites are, but God has delivered them from the Canaanites, from hunger, from, from thirst. Not only that, God has also told them, your journey is temporary. There's something better on the other side. The other problem is complaints lead to rebellion. Rebellion leads to going against God's plan. And when you go against God's plan, the universe is affected. Do you understand that because of Israel, we have the tribe of Judah. And because of the tribe of Judah, we have Jesus Christ. God is looking at this bigger picture. But all they're thinking about is onions and fish. Because they don't care about the cosmic issue. They care about their needs. Amen, somebody. Judgment is not a result of God's anger. Judgment is a result of God knowing that if you keep going the direction you're going, you will affect more than just yourself. That is why the spirit of complaining should be quelled with prayer and not compounded with more complaining. Amen. (laughs) Why was this a revelation? It was a revelation because guess what? The snakes were there anyway. Up to this moment, God had been keeping the snakes away. So it's not that God sent snakes, it's that God folded his arms and let the snakes come. Sometimes the snakes in your life don't come because God sent them, but because God has been holding them back. And the more you keep complaining, Lord, why are you protecting me? Why are you love me so much? That's okay, baby boy, baby girl. You go ahead and do it on your own. And so the snakes came out from the rocks and the trees and started biting them. And in regular human fashion, they turned around and said, Oh no, we've sinned, please forgive us. Nobody understands human nature like God. Mm. Statement. Divine protection is one of the most underrated qualities of God. Especially to a self-sufficient generation. See, so you go through your life. With this self-sufficient attitude that says, I have what I have because of what I've done. I am who I am because of what I've achieved. The family I come from, the business I run, the career I have, my looks, my clothes, my phone, my house, my car, that's who I am. But what you don't understand is there are a million ways for you to die on a daily basis. But God still protects you. And there's nobody who God protects more than Gojek drivers. For some reason, God loves them so much. They will just come in front of me and do what they do, and God just protects them. Sometimes I feel like, Lord, just let let one snake just bite them, just so they understand. But I want you to understand that divine protection is one of those things that people don't talk about anymore. When you talk about angels, people start mumbling, oh, angels, angels, What, what are angels? Angels are not real. But do you understand that each and every one of you has an angel protecting you? Some of you have more than one because you're so messed up. (laughs) But God loves you so much. Uh, There's a statement, and and I stand corrected. I stand corrected. There's a statement people love to repeat that, oh, if you go into a bad place, God doesn't go with you. Look, there are some people that God will go with into the darkest places because they need him. We'll debate about that theologically another time. Then the Bible says, they came to Moses and cried out. We, we, we discussed it, Elder River, this morning that Daniel was not invited to the party or he didn't want to go, whatever the case is. But the bottom line is, when a problem arose, guess who they looked for? They looked for him. This whole band of slaves who were eating free food and had this canopy that God created, they complained to Moses and they went back to Moses for an answer. I thank God that Moses is not me. I am not going to lie to you. If I have the power to stand between a group of people and God, and God says, let's wipe them out and start again with you. I'm like, Lord, let's do it. <laughs> but they went to Moses and they cried out. On one side, I'm happy that they went to Moses. I'm, I'm glad they did. Because it means that they understood, they messed up, they need help. But on the other end, I'm asking myself, why didn't they go directly to God themselves? Why did they need to go through Moses? That has been the problem from the beginning. While Moses is the spokesman for the group, surely somebody else could have prayed by themselves. Surely somebody else could have said, come kids, come honey, let's pray so God can forgive us. But no, they go to Moses, hey Mo, go talk to your God, he needs to forgive us. Nothing brings people back to God like a common problem bigger than their petty complaints. I'm going to use the most common thing that's happening now is the coronavirus. Before the coronavirus hit or any pandemic like Ebola or anything that just moves across humanity, countries argue about trade, they argue about borders, they they argue about who has the right to the land and this and that. Airlines negotiate prices of tickets and you are charged so much money. But when the coronavirus hits... Nobody's checking passports. Nobody's charging people for tickets. Indonesians are being flown for free from China. Because when a crisis hits, nobody cares about economy. Nobody cares about race. Nobody cares about wealth. Because we have a common problem. So I'm telling you right now, the risk that you run for complaining. When you complain about something small, God gives you something big. Because when something big comes, you need God. And God loves to be needed. Coronavirus. Right now, the only thing that people have in common is their body temperature. When you get to the airport, they don't care about your passport. They just want to know, do you have a fever? That's all they want to know. They don't care where you're from. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snake so Moses prayed for the people. I thank God for people like Moses. I wish, I pray that all of us were like Moses to understand that when everybody's complaining, that's the time to pray. When people complain, don't join the complaints. That's the worst thing you can do. All right? And it's like the people knew deep down inside that even though we're complaining, they knew that Moses would comply. hmm Sometimes the difference between those who pray and those who complain is memory. What does that mean? The reason that Moses could pray is because Moses remembered where he came from. Moses' parents were slaves. Moses' parents had to work hard to make bricks for no pay. Moses remembered that in Egypt, his parents hid him for three months. Moses remembered that even though he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, watching his people suffer made him make a dumb decision. Moses came back 40 years later and he watched his people get punished. The more he asked for their freedom, the more they were punished. He did not forget. But people who complain have a short memory. Amen. (laughs) Then the Lord told him, strange, strange action of God. The Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake. Because yes, the one thing people need is a reminder of their problem make a replica of the of the poisonous snake and and i like the fact that it qualifies it was a poisonous snake not a garden snake none of these little harmless snakes that go around a real poisonous snake a black mamba if you will yeah okay And so he took the the replica and he put it on a pole and the Bible says all the people had to do. This is how good God is. If it was up to me, I'd say walk a mile with one foot up with your finger on your nose and your hand behind your back. But God said, just look at it. Just, Just look up at it and live. And do you know that some people were stubborn enough not to look? With the venom coursing in their bodies, they still chose not to look and you're like how stupid are they but we do that all the time jesus says look at me and live we're like no jesus i'm still busy with my relationship i'm still busy with my job i'm still busy making money and he's like no look at me and you'll get those things but we choose not to look all it took was a to look just a uh-huh, hair with your eyeball just just look at it and the venom disappeared from your body why am i going backwards let's go forward i want to talk about the olympics June 24 to August 9, 2020, the Olympics are in Jack's favorite country, Japan. The Olympics this year are in Japan. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the image on my right side, is that, is that, is that right, right, left? My right side is actually one of the stadiums in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. Something interesting about the Olympics or any sports events that they do in the world and in countries, there are three medals that are given as prizes. Do you know what they are? Of course, you know that. You don't know the... Okay, so there's silver, there's bronze, there's silver, and there's gold. Which one is the prized one? Which one is the most important one? Is the gold, right? Because gold represents what? The winner. Greatness. Now, if God is going to choose something to represent him, why bronze and not gold? Because that was Moses' choice. God simply said, make a replica and put it up on a pole. I don't know. I'm going to answer the question a little bit. But I'm wondering, why did Moses choose bronze? Is it because the members are more willing to give coins than notes for offering? Was that, was that, was that the reason? What was the reason for that? We'll talk about it in a moment. So Moses made a snake out of the bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This story is actually reflected on by Jesus Christ in that encounter with Nicodemus as Jesus is trying to convince this man that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Everybody knows John chapter 3.16, but very few people ever focus on verse number 14. In verse 14, Jesus says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Jesus is saying the same way that Moses uh, lifted up that snake so the people could look at it and live is the same way people should lift me up. Moses said to the people, look, Jesus says lift. There's There's a message in there somewhere. Because sometimes it's not enough just to look at Jesus. Sometimes we have to lift him up. Sometimes we have to lift him up. What, what does that mean? I'm, I'm going back to the Olympics because uh, uh, I love sports. No, I, I love sports. I love watching sports, to be clear. <laughs> Pastor Henry loves sports. I love to see him run a marathon in the Olympics. So listen to, listen to the statement. Whenever the runners are on the track, whenever whenever somebody is either shooting a target, trying to beat a record in distance, trying to beat a record in time, trying to get bullseye, whatever the competition is, they are looking at that object, that finish line, that dartboard, that that whatever it is, right? They're looking at it because they want to get to it, right? Because when you focus on the target, you win. One of the things they tell you when running never look to your left and your right because it slows you down you got to look at it and keep going but to lift up the prize is when you win the competition you are standing on the podium and you lift up the medal what does that say i'm better than you but beyond that what does it say right representing my country what else it says is if i have done it so can you The reason that world records keep getting broken is because somebody sees another human being do it and they say to themselves, one day I want to do this. A young lady last year had been watching Serena Williams play tennis for years, admiring her, studying her, and she got an opportunity to beat her last year. Because when people see you do something, they know they can do it also. Can you imagine if we lifted up God the way we should? People would begin to think that whatever God is doing for that person, God can do for me. But what we do, we take Jesus and we hide him. Because it's unpopular to love God. It is unacceptable to shine forth for the Lord. But Jesus said, lift me up. Moses said, look at him. If you do both, you will shine like gold and not like bronze. Let's go back to the question. Why a bronze serpent and not a gold one? Couldn't Moses have been more respectful? Why not look for diamonds or something? Why, why bronze? Bronze is, bronze is simple. Why, why not gold? They had gold. How do I know? They used gold in the temple. In the tent, everything was made of gold. Thousands of tons of gold were used in the sanctuary. Surely they could have figured something out. I don't have an answer for you, but I can only speculate. I have to be honest, this is a, not a theological response. There are people more qualified than me to answer the question, but here's what I see. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, God made him, him who? Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If Jesus is going to take our place, something spectacular and great cannot represent him. It has to be something less. That's why he chose a lamb, the most innocent and weak animal, and not a male lion. They did not sacrifice a male lion. Because first of all, you need to catch it. But a lamb is dumb, it's slow, it's easy to kill it. He chose the weakest things to demonstrate the greatest things. Because if Jesus was to walk amongst us, he had to be like us. So in other words, he took on the bronze so that we could get the gold. He came third place so that you could become first place. He took sin so that you could get righteousness. So if Jesus is going to be represented up on a cross, it cannot be a gold snake. It has to be bronze. He became nothing so that you could have everything. I know this is Valentine's season and not Easter, but it's okay to talk about Jesus dying. He became everything so that you could have everything. And secondly, he took the bronze to give you the gold. Another passage of scripture, Job 23 verse 10. I want you to look at your life differently after this text. Job said, but he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. A lot of you are complaining, Lord, why do you keep giving me bronze? You, you, keep, you gave me a bronze wife. You gave me a bronze husband. You gave me bronze kids that test me every single day. My job is made of bronze. Everything I have, my, my bank account is bronze. And you are wondering, why you are doing this to me? And God says, because I want everything in your life to be bronze so that you become gold. It takes the worst things in life to become the best person ever. Trials make you better if you stop complaining. But if you keep complaining, trials will make you bitter and you'll miss out on heaven. The worst thing is not a sinner in hell. The worst thing is a sinner who is still complaining while in hell. So let's go back to Hezekiah. So God said, make this bronze serpent, look at it and live. Many, many years passed. And in human fashion, whatever is a blessing becomes a curse. They stopped worshiping God and they started worshiping the bronze snake. Because again, human beings love what they can see. We, we, we are more adept to uh, attaching ourselves to tangible things. And that's why when it comes to God, we will attach certain things to God. We'll go to a certain church. We'll listen to a certain preacher. We'll relate with certain people. We'll do certain things because those things represent who God is. Symbols. The problem is when you start worshiping the thing and you forget God. The Bible says Hezekiah was 25 years old. Does anybody know whose son Hezekiah was? Who was his father? Anybody know who his father was? Anybody? Don't say David, because in the Bible when it says father, it's not referring to him biologically, it's referring to the lineage. David was his great-great-grandfather, but it just says father. Who's, who's, Hezekiah's, who's Hezekiah's dad? If I ask you who's the fastest man alive, do you know who that is? Hussein Bot? yes. Who's Hezekiah's father? Lord, help me. (laughs) Manasseh. The wicked king, Manasseh. This is one story where the apple fell far from the tree. His father introduced idol worship and the sacrifice of children, but the son at the age of 25. Young people, don't tell me you can't be faithful when you're young. Why do you have to wait until you're old to live a gold life? Imagine if you started in your teens and in your young adult life to live that golden type of life for the Lord. Imagine the things you could accomplish. That was a commercial break. Hezekiah was not like his father. He did what was right in the sight of God. There's something else in the text that tells me about the grace of the Lord. Can anybody identify it? What else is amazing about that text? Anything? The thing said about David. That doesn't impress you. Knowing what you know about David, that doesn't impress you. Listen to what it says. It says, Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Really? Has God forgotten David? David did not live a bronze life. He lived a copper life. Less than perfect. David made so many mistakes that when David said, Lord, I want to build your house, God was like, e, Dave, I like you, but you got way too much blood on your hands. But the goodness of God is revealed in the text that even though he lived a bronze life, David knew how to come back to God. David knew how to come back to God. In fact, he is referred to as a man after God's own heart. So in spite of your bronze sins and the mess up that you've had, God is able to turn that bronze into gold if you will let him. Amen, Amen, somebody. Unless you love your bronze, don't say amen. The Bible says that uh, Hezekiah broke in pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. Now, people looking from outside would be offended that how can you mess up the legacy of our forefather? Moses made that thing with his own hands. How can you destroy what God has made? Listen. The moment something that is supposed to be a symbol becomes a curse, it's time to destroy it. If you don't destroy it, God will destroy it for you. That can be anything in your life that you are worshipping and not worshipping God. In fact, let me put it this way. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a picture of uh, pain medication up on the screen. Statement first. Transition blessings point to something bigger and should never be the final focus. What is a transition blessing? literally everything that god gives you in this life is a transitional blessing a transition to what the cloud by day the fire by night the manna all transition blessings as impressive as water coming out of a rock was there was a transition blessing but human beings are so strange if given an option they would have stayed and worshipped the rock that's how we operate we don't focus on the promised land we focus on right now job relationship health whatever it is you start worshiping the thing but god is saying no 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 you don't get it the reason i gave it to you is so that you can continue the journey and make it into the kingdom of heaven and you're like no lord i'm i'm okay with this bronze thing i'm okay with nehushtan I'm, i'm all right with it i'll keep it when you get into an accident And you break your bones and fracture and all that kind of stuff. They give you pain medication. The sad thing is that some people get addicted to the pain medication. That they keep taking the pain medication. They're no longer focusing on their health and getting better. They keep reliving the past. And so they keep consuming the pain medication, which becomes a problem. And it creates other issues. I'm telling you right now that the bronze things you're holding on to, they're no better than painkillers. The things that you love so much, the things that that, that occupy your heart and God doesn't have a place, those things will eventually become so addictive that it'll create health problems in your body. Your spiritual life will suffer because of a relationship. You're going to sacrifice your relationship with God because of a man, because of a woman, because of a job. Can you imagine how simple it is for life to end? You've made your life and all of a sudden trucks and army people come and they take you out. Why? Because that area has been infected with the coronavirus. It's time to go back to your country. Everything you've done, everything you've tried to do, shut down. You've got to be careful, my brothers and sisters. Don't worship the bronze snake. Worship Jesus. In fact, lift him up and look at him. Don't be religious. Have a relationship with Jesus. Final statement, what you look at or lift up will either be a blessing or a curse. It's entirely up to you. The things you put between you and God become bronze. But when you take those things and say, Lord, thank you for this job. Thank you for this man. Thank you for this woman. Thank you for this money. Thank you for this house. God knows his place in your life. Pastor. There's so much bronze in my life right now. There's bronze in my pocket right now. There's bronze in my bank account. There's bronze at home. I'm probably sitting next to bronze right now. But I need everything to be gold because if I don't give it to you, it will become a curse.